man. <laughs> well, we're in Mark chapter 14, and uh, it's going to be an exciting month during the month of June. Uh, we'll be, uh, 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 let's see, this week uh, is, is, we'll be in Mark chapter 14 uh, uh, again, and then, uh, well, we'll be in Mark, we'll finish up Mark hopefully by the end of June. Uh, and then the next week, I'll be in Phoenix, uh, Arizona at the Southern Baptist Convention. Brother Case will be preaching. The third week is Father's Day, and our ladies are going to be preparing breakfast for us men, and we're excited about that, to be a part of that. And then the last week of June, that Sunday morning, we'll go back to Mark chapter 14, and we'll have a special Lord's Supper as we look in Mark chapter 14 at the Last Supper that Jesus uh, gave there. Uh, and then that Sunday night, wow, Vacation Bible School begins. And uh, it's going to be good. You, you, I tell you, every year it gets better and better and better. And there's a special time for adults uh, during Bible School. It's a family Bible school, so we invite everyone to come. Uh, the adults will be in here. Uh, in the auditorium. Now we have to wait till the little ones get through with their opening assembly so we'll start after they uh, finish and then we'll finish before they come back in for the second time but we'll have some good desserts and, and a great time of fellowship and I, I, I'll announce who's going to be teaching that uh, here this week so uh, it's going to be good. You're going to, be, you're going to love it. It's going to be a fantastic time together. Mark chapter 14 beginning in verse 32 is where we are tonight. And they came to a place. And boy, when you look at that word place in the Greek, it, it also, we, we, we think about a place being a location, being a town, or a garden of Gethsemane is where they're coming to. But really, the, the Greek word for place here goes a little bit deeper than that. It's kind of like a, a special. Have you, have you got a special place where you go where nobody knows where you are? where you can just get along with God and you can just, uh, or be alone, period. I mean, you don't want to hear anybody else. That's kind of what this re refers to here. They went, came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, began to, to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground, prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and find them sleeping. And he said unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldn't you watch one hour? And watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again. Their eyes were heavy. Neither was they that were answer him. And he came uh, the third time, and he said unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest. It's enough, the hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now, Sunday morning, we talked about uh, Judas uh, in uh, the Mark chapter 14 and went over that sermon of Judas there. This study is bringing us closer and closer to the time that the Lord is going to give his life for every soul, for every sinner. Uh, there, there's so many people today that, uh, man, one of the reasons that I'm going to Phoenix is honestly to goodness. You just want my personal opinion. Let me just shoot my personal opinion to you. I think we've got probably one more year in the Southern Baptist Convention. 
and it's going to be it. It's going to be it. Uh, we're going to win in, in Phoenix, and we're going to uh, uh, take it, but next year it's in Dallas, and I believe that for the first time in the history of our denomination, there'll be a full-fledged hyper-Calvinist elected as president, and I think that's going to be the beginning of the end of the Southern Baptist Convention. Right now, we still believe that the Lord Jesus Christ loved every person, and every person, we believe in the sovereignty of God, but we believe in the humanity and the responsibility of humanity, and that every person has an opportunity. God has not ordained anybody to go to hell. That's just not in the Word of God. Now, you can twist some scriptures around, and you can do what you want to with it, but I'm telling you, uh, we're saved by grace. We're nothing but a sinner saved by grace. And every one of us have that opportunity to be saved. But we're headed toward that direction there. Jesus is approaching this hour that he's going to give his life for sin and for sinners on the cross. And he begins to move forward. It, it, it reminds me of what Brother Graham always told me about the end of life. The end of life like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. And that's exactly what's happening here in this, uh, in this uh, last uh, couple of chapters of the book of Mark. It's moving at a rapid pace. Uh, and uh, the, Jesus and his men, once again, they're in the midst of an eventful night. They've just finished the Passover celebration. They left the room where they celebrated Passover. We've not covered that because we're going to go back and cover that uh, June the 20-whatever that is, the last Sunday of June. Uh, I, I think the 25th is what it is, 25th of June. Uh, they left that room. They made their way from Jerusalem down through the Kidron Valley to a place called Gethsemane. And he discussed uh, on his way there to, with the disciples all the truths. If you look at John 14 through John 17, it talks about everything Jesus discussed as he was on the way uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane there. He taught them about heaven. He taught him about the peace of God. He taught him about surrender to the Lord. He taught him about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Remember, that's where he said, it, it benefits you that I go away. Because if I go away, someone, a great comforter is going to come and be with you. And he'll be able to be with you uh, omnipresent all the time. He talked to, and prayed the prayer of John 17. Uh, Father, I will that, that you unite them together. Make them one as you and I are one. The greatest thing in a church, I had a, a, a church call uh, uh, yesterday, it was Tuesday, and, and every, generally their questions are the same thing. How do you get a church united and going together? And I said, well, I'm not sure how you do it, but I can tell you this. If you're not united, you're never going to make it. I can tell you this. The greatest strength that Woodland Hills has it's not its, its, its pastor, it's not its staff, it's not its buildings. It's the fact that the people of God have a mind to work together. And when we cease to have a mind to work together, let me tell you, three or four knotheads can tear it up. You just listen to me, three or four knotheads can tear it up. We've got a mind to work together and be in unity together. And that's what he prayed for his people as well as he and the Father, that we would have unity just like he and the Father had unity there. Now, let's just look at what happens uh, at, at Gethsemane. Let me just give you a couple of three things here about this garden that's important. It, it was a place of pressure. As they go to that garden of Gethsemane, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, probably this garden, probably, now today it's wide open. 
and the, you know, the nation of Israel owns it, and you can go in it and everything. It's tremendous. It's a wonderful place. I've been there. Some of you have been there, and it's, just, it's a beautiful place. But in, in Jesus' day, probably it was owned by a friend, and it probably wasn't near as big as what it is today, like the whole side of a, of a hill there. It was probably a small garden with a gated entrance. And Jesus had been there many times. The book of John talks about how he loved to go to that place. That's why when the Bible says, and they came to the place, uh, Judas knew exactly where Jesus would be going. Because they'd been to that place many times before. They had prayed. They had been with God many times before in that garden of Gethsemane. So it's famous in our day, but it was probably a small garden in this day. And uh, he visited with his men there. It was a sanctuary uh, from the attacks of, of uh, people. The name Gethsemane is uh, Aramaic in origin, and the word means olive press. Uh, the olive trees grew there, and they produced their uh, fruit there, and the olives were collected, placed in the press, and olive oil was extracted from the olives under the intense pressure. So it just stands very, the Garden of Gethsemane, it was a place of pressure here. Now, why uh, the Bible says that he takes Peter, James, and John with him. They go a little deeper into the garden. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Now, I don't want to get ugly. I, I don't want to be, uh, listen, you know my spirit is not a proud spirit, not a proud bone in my body. But I believe that these men were leaders among the group. And I want to tell you the truth. God still picks out men and women who are going to be leaders in the group, and he takes them to a place where maybe nobody else is. He takes them to a place and reveals things to them that maybe he doesn't reveal to the whole crowd. And that's exactly what's happened here. These men are going to become even more leaders in the days ahead. And so he takes them up and he says, you pray, you pray. And then he goes off and he prays himself. Now, uh, uh, there were internal pressures going on. Uh, the Bible says he was sore amazed. It means to be struck with terror. Remember, Jesus is deity, but also Jesus is humanity. And we're going to see here in the 14, 15, 16th chapter of the books of Mark that when Jesus was nailed to a cross, he bled just like you and I bled. He had human feelings and emotions just like you and I have human feelings and emotions. So he was struck with terror. Uh, the word has the idea of terrified surprise. He, he knew what was coming. Have you ever known, have you ever known what was coming? Kind of like Brother Aaron with the balloon. He knew what was coming, but he was struck with terror as that dart hit that balloon. And see, that's what Jesus, Jesus knows what's coming, but he looks at that cup. And he's just astonished. He's overcome with horror. No other human has experienced such anguish of their soul that came upon him. The Bible says not only was he sore amazed, but he was very heavy. Speaks of a condition of great distress and of anguish. And he said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. Now, literally, to be overwhelmed with sorrow is what he's saying here. We get our word periphery from this it means to be surrounded Jesus is surrounded by and overwhelmed by the sorrow that's all around him and then he says even unto death 
That means that Jesus was at the point of death. When, as he prayed in Gethsemane, uh, you, you know, maybe you've never been there before. But I want to tell you, it is probable and possible for someone to die of anguish before they ever die physically. And literally, Jesus is literally that point where the death is there. Even unto death, he said. The Word of God is telling us that Jesus is so overwhelmed spiritually, emotionally, uh, and uh, by what he's experienced as he enters and the pressure. Uh, see, he knows that he's about to suffer intense physical pain. He knows it. See, he knows past, present, and future. He knows what's coming. He knows he's about to become sin on a cross. He knows he's about to be judged by his Father. He knows that for the first time in eternity, there'll be a breach in the unbroken fellowship that he's enjoyed with his Father. They've been together. They've been one. There's never, but there's coming a time. He knows when that bridge, that fellowship is going to be broken with the Father because he's going to have your sin and my sin on him. He knows that he'll be abandoned by his nation, by his followers, and even by his Father. He knows he's about to be tried, rejected, condemned to the death by the very people that he came to save. He knows all that. He knows the most powerful human government on earth is about to turn its fury upon him. So there were internal pressures. But there were also external pressures. When you read Luke's account of, of the Lord's suffering, he says this, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as if it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Wow. He prayed and, and so earnestly. And uh, while Jesus is God in the flesh, the body he lived in was a frail human body just like yours and mine. It knew weariness. It knew pain. It knew hunger. It knew sleep. It knew he was tired. It, it was just a body. And the pressures that came upon him. He survived it. He survived the agony of Gethsemane, and he made it to Calvary, where he ended up dying for our sins. So there's internal pressures, there's external pressures, and then I, 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 I really can't prove this, but I believe there was demonic pressures. I believe literally uh, that, uh, this is just my opinion, I believe Satan, the attack, that he put on him in Gethsemane. I think Satan was trying to so overload the Lord with distress and with emotional suffering that it would literally cause him to die right there. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in that place where the emotional stress and the, and the agony and just the thoughts of life and what was going on around you were just, it just seemed like life was coming in on you. Now, I, we're just shooting opinions here, all right? And you don't have to hear a thing of this and believe a thing of this, okay? I, I don't believe the devil wanted Jesus to go to the cross. I think the devil knew that if Jesus got to the cross, that would be his death nail. So I think the devil is trying to keep Jesus away from the cross. See, if you can get him to die in the Garden of Gethsemane, he never dies for the sins of you and me. And you say, whoa, I've never heard that. Well, I go home and sleep on it a little bit. Think about it a little bit. You just kind of, 
uh, well, you peruse around a little bit there. But uh, I think the devil knew that the cross would, would be the end of death for Satan. I think the devil knew that Calvary was the ultimate goal of the Father. You say, how do you do that? Well, the devil can read and understand just like you and I can. You think the devil didn't know the prophecies? Think the devil had never read the book of Isaiah? You think the devil had never read Ezekiel and all of those things? You think the devil had never read in Psalm 41 where David said, you know, he's raised his heel against me? The devil's read all those things. And he doesn't want Jesus to go to the cross because he knew that at Calvary, Jesus would defeat sin and defeat Satan. Now, I won't charge you for that because I can't prove that, so I won't charge you anything for that. I believe that's why the, the devil's been trying to stop the cross ever since uh, the beginning of, uh, of mankind when he sinned in the Garden of Eden. That's why he tempted Cain to kill Abel. Uh, that's why he repeatedly uh, wanted to corrupt the bloodline that led from the Messiah that it would come from. That's why he moved Herod to kill all the babies in Bethlehem. That's why Satan tempted Jesus to take the crown by bypassing the cross because I think the devil knew if he ever gets to the cross, it's all over. It's all over. See, now, we didn't know that. We, we didn't understand any of that. But I think the devil understood that. So there's external pressures. It was a place of pressure, internal pressure and demonic pressure. Then, secondly, though, the Bible says in verse 35 that it was a place of prayer. Not only pressure, but prayer. Jesus leaves eight of his guys at the gate, and he takes three deeper with him, and he says, wait and watch, and he goes to pray. And, and the word means to give strict attention to something. Stay open. Keep your eyes open. Maybe open for trouble to pray with him. And uh, Jesus went deeper into the Gethsemane to pray. Now, I want to look just at his prayer just for a few moments. The object of his prayer. Uh, Jesus prostrated himself down on the ground, and he began to call on his father. Now listen, no Jew, no Jew would ever call God the Father Abba. You didn't, you didn't say Daddy to God Almighty. You, you didn't say the man upstairs or the great-haired, white-haired man on the throne or anything. You, boy, that was, you, you talking about getting your head knocked off. You didn't do that. So Jesus, now Jesus talks to his father like a child, Abba, Daddy. And then he says, Father. Not only does he say, Abba, Daddy, but he says, Father. What does that mean? It means it takes in the whole realm of humanity. From the childhood all the way up through the oldest person in the world, we can talk to the Father. Abba, Father, he said. The object of his prayer was the Father. It's intense intimacy. Uh, uh, and, and I want to tell you, listen to what Romans 8, 15 says. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. God is God. He's supreme over all this universe. But in the midst of all that, because of what Jesus did on Calvary, we can call him Daddy. We, he, he's not just a, whoo, you get scared to be in his midst. 
He's a close personal relationship with us. Abba, Father. He said, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Now, when you read this, don't think for a moment that Jesus is trying to get out of going to the cross. He was born for that purpose. John 18, 37, he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation 13, 8, no one was forcing him to go to the cross. He told the Pharisees, he said, I lay down my life that I can take it up again. You're not, you're not making me, no man taking it from me. He said, I'm laying it down myself. Don't you think for a moment that Jesus couldn't have called any number of angels he'd have wanted to. There's no reason. I'm going to tell you, there's not a one of us in this room that would have blamed him if he'd have said, I've had enough of this. I'm not going to the cross. Y'all just figure out another way to be saved. Now, if Jesus wasn't praying to avoid the cross, what was he praying for? Well, in Matthew's account, he records the words of the Lord like this. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, this is important. What Jesus is saying is, Father, if you can find another way for people to be saved, then take that way. This is like one of the ladies down at Arabella. They've got a new group at Arabella starting Friday at 4.30. It's progressive Christianity. Ooh, it'll bless your heart. I want to tell you, if you think that the weirdos are just in California and New York, you're wrong. They're all in these woods. They're all in these woods. And this dear lady who's heading up this group had just announced a couple of days ago that there are more ways to get to heaven than just through Jesus. Now we're talking about right here in East Texas. Bless her heart, if she wasn't so old and feeble, somebody'd knock her in the head, I guess. But, but anyway, I'm just telling you, we have got to understand. We got to get our doctrine on our head straight. We've got to teach our children our doctrine because what happens is, and, and I'll just be honest with you. Some of you are in that same place. You get to be a place there like at Arabella where you've lost a, a husband or a wife and you become vulnerable and you have, you have feelings and you feel lost and you feel like you're living in darkness and then somebody shows you a little attention and you become vulnerable. And that's just how the cults work, guys. They go after people like that. That's what they go after. Uh, he wasn't saying, I want to avoid it. He's saying, if there is another way, then take that other way. Now, what does that mean for us today? That means this, that if there had been any other way, he'd have took another way. But the only way you're going to get to heaven is to come through Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. And you can try to repronounce that you can try to redo that you can look at it in the greek you can look at it in the english you can look at it anything you want to it means the same thing in every language and that's where most churches today are not going to they're not going to be able to stand the end of times because we've got this idea that hey you know well let me ask this you <laughs> what do you do when something breaks now at your house now, see, some of you old people here, you remember the days when we had the old radios and one of them would go out? What you'd do, you'd take that thing apart and you'd find the tube that was out and then you'd replace that tube and you'd restore that radio. Well, you try to take one of these new radios apart. You can't even take your cell phone apart. 
You can't even work on your car anymore. We live in a society that literally tells us when something breaks, throw it away. I'm telling you, I'm so thankful tonight that the Lord didn't throw us away when we were broke. <laughs> I'm so thankful he didn't take the clay and throw it out and say, this is no good. We'll just start all over. We'll get a brand new one. But he reached down and saved our soul. Hmm. All the knowledge that he was about to suffer physically must have undoubtedly terrified the mind of Christ. And uh, he wasn't afraid of the pain of the cross, but the very thought of becoming sin and being judged and abandoned by God was just heavy on his heart. I, I, I try to, I can't express what I really want to express about end times. I, I'm no one loves Israel any more than me. And uh, I, I tell you, I, I'm not at all concerned about dying. I, you know, bless God. Uh, I looked over at Miss Moselle the other night when I was over there and didn't even recognize her. And to know that today she is rejoicing in the very presence of the Lord God Almighty, that's tremendous to me. I have no problem about dying. No problem about dying. You know, <laughs> no, everybody wants to go to heaven, just nobody wants to die. My problem is in America is what do we have to go through before Jesus does come back? I know everybody says, oh, the Lord's coming back. The Lord's coming back. Well, why do you think the Lord? Well, everybody's neglected the Lord. They've all turned on the Lord. No, that's only in America. Let me tell you, there's a team in Africa this week and hundreds and thousands are being saved. Don Witts in India, thousands are being saved. You go to Brazil, thousands are being saved. Christians are, uh, today, 23 Christians were beheaded over in the Middle East because they refused to renounce Jesus Christ. All over this world, revival's taking place, except in America. So don't think that God's just an American God. God is the God of the universe, the whole universe. And if you don't think that this place here called America can't crumble from within, some of you, just, what you need to do is go home tonight and just sit down and think about what, think, what was happening 30 years ago versus what happens today. You say, my soul. And that's scary. It scares me. It scares me. I'm not worried about dying. I'm worried about living here in the middle of this mess. Then there's an oppression of his prayer. I think Satan was opposing him, and I believe Jesus was under intense satanic attack. And the, the text here suggests that Jesus prayed to the Father three times in the garden, and each prayer probably associated with a time of satanic attack. Uh, I think it, it took the devil, uh, scripturally, it took the devil three times. Uh, the amount of temptation took him three times before he got enough. and said, well, I guess the Lord's not going to crumble. And, and I thank God that Jesus prevailed in all of that. And I thank God that Jesus prevailed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then the obedience. He concluded his prayer. He expressed absolute obedience to the Father's will. He didn't want to be separated from his Father. He didn't want to desire to experience his father's wrath he didn't want to become sin he was willing to do it because that was the father's plan for his life 
Mm. The words, I will and thou wilt, let us know that this was a true time of testing for the Savior. And Jesus was sinless. He was unable to sin. He faced a time of severe temptation here. And uh, uh, he won that victory by being submissive to the Lord's will. Now let me tell you, he could have walked away in the Garden of Gethsemane. He could have walked away and said, I'm not going to be there. When the soldiers come and when Judas comes to put the kisses on me, not going to be there. He could have walked away. But he did it, did it willingly so that we might have a, an opportunity to be saved. It was a place of pressure, a place of prayer. But let me give you the last thing and I'm through. It was a place of priorities. Some priorities got in place. He prayed in the garden that night. Two sets of priorities are being played out. First of all, the priorities of the master. Jesus had one overriding priority in his life. Ooh, I wish we could do that today. I wish I could tell you that your pastor has the same overriding priority that Jesus had, and that was to do the Father's will. Didn't make any difference what anybody said. Didn't make any difference what come my way in life. All I want to do is do the Father's will. I tell you, we all say that, but there are very few who are doing that. Remember when he was just 12 years old and his mom and daddy were chastising him because he had gotten left behind? And he said, don't you know that I've got to be about my father's business? <laughs> his whole life was about his father's business. And he comes down to the time in Gethsemane where he says, not my will, John 6, 38. I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. It was, it was the cross of Calvary and the death of Christ on that cross was never in question. He knew it was the will of the Father, and the Master's priority was to do the will of the Father. Oh, that we could say that today. Then there's not only the priorities of the Master, but there's the priorities of his men. While Jesus is praying and wrestling with the greatest load that any man could ever think about carrying, the disciples are asleep. He commanded them to watch, but they're tired. Same men slept through the transfiguration in Matthew 17. I mean, Jesus is not, probably not surprised. Now they sleep through the greatest spiritual struggle the world's ever witnessed. Our Lord's priority was still the will of his Father. Their priority was for themselves and their own needs. I'm not telling you they didn't need to sleep. Sometimes you, you need to sleep. Sleep is an escape. Uh, and after all these men have heard in the last day and what they've gone through at the Lord's Supper and then what they've gone through as they've walked the, those few miles over to Gethsemane, they probably thought, you know, what we need to do is just get a good night's sleep and wake up in the morning. Maybe this thing will be better. I, maybe you've ever felt like that. Oh, man, if I can just get some rest. Tomorrow, it's got to look better tomorrow than it looks tonight. So we think, well, maybe we can do it tomorrow. That's not still any excuse for them sleeping when the master said to watch. Uh, the real truth is they didn't believe the things that Jesus had been telling them. They didn't believe it. So he returns, he finds them asleep, and when he does, he speaks to Peter. He said, Simon, it means hearken, listen. Peter hadn't listened to the Lord. He wasn't acting like the new man, Peter. He was acting like the old Simon. And uh, he can't even stay awake for one hour 
And he warns his men to be careful and prayerful because the time of temptation and trial is coming their way. Boy, how many people have been ruined because they were not watching. Temptation came their way and they gave in to temptation. They let something come up. They, they put their needs over somebody else's needs. And, and they said, look, I deserve to do I des- I, This is what I deserve. I think the lesson's clear in this chapter here of Mark. That the reason Jesus was victorious is because he was vigilant and diligent in prayer. And I want to tell you. I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir. You're here on Wednesday night. <laughs> but I'm telling you, there will never be, you and I will never be any more for God in public than we are with God in private. Our strength comes from prayer. We have got to get along with God. We have got to be along with God in prayer. When his time of testing came, he was victorious. When their time came, they lost it. The disciples followed a predictable pattern <clears throat> in their lives. Verse 31, they were self-confident. They thought they could stand in their own power. People today, hey, I, I can do this. If I want to do, if I want to quit this, I can quit this. I can stand in my own power. I can do this. They were self-confident. Verse 37, they slept. They were indifferent to all the evil around them. And I want to tell you, Sometimes we get like that too. I know I, 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 I am looking forward to being off a week and not preaching because I feel like all I've done is just beat a dead drum just over and over again about the evils that we're living in and the society that we're living in. And I'm looking forward just a week to, to, to be off and to just not have to beat that same drum. I told Brother Case, you beat the drum that week. <laughs> uh, uh, but they had their, their heads in the sand while all of Rome burned around them. Then verse 50 says they were tempted, and the first thing they were doing, they called to think upon themselves and to rebel for God's plan in their life. They forsook him, the Bible says, and they fled. They forsook him, fled. Now, we want to blame Peter, but this is a whole group that forsook him. Peter at least did come warm up by the fire, getting close to where Jesus' mock trial was. The rest of these guys are gone. They're nowhere to be found. Then they experience disaster. Just as temptation is not faced in God's power, it leads to sin. And sin that's not confessed and cleansed away leads to spiritual tragedy. And that's exactly what happens here. And don't think that for a moment the same thing can't happen to any one of us. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Father, thank you tonight for the joy to come to your house. Thank you that we have a place that we can meet and we can pray, we can sing, we can hear the Word of God. And Lord, I pray. I pray for this world around us, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide our leaders today, those who have authority over us, God, break their hearts, break their prideful attitudes. Lord, I pray that you'd bring them to the cross. I pray, Lord Jesus, the shape that our country's in, and our, not only our country, our own city, right here in East Texas, right here around us, the horrors that are going on right before us, the 
pornography shops that are wide open right here in town and nothing is done and God, the, the liquor and the prostitutes that just walk up and down Highway 80 with no one saying anything, no one doing anything, God, while we sit here in our church and we just praise the name of Jesus. Oh, God, would you break our hearts that we'd get in our closets and we'd pray like everything depended on us. We'd trust you and believe in you and let your will be done in our life. Whatever you want us to do, help us to do. It's going to be different for every one of us you don't want every one of us to do the same thing. But God, help each one of us find what your will is for our own individual life and then to, to do it no matter what happens. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all so much for being here tonight. Appreciate you all. Don't forget Sunday morning, great time in the Lord. Uh, Ms. Moselle, her funeral will be Saturday morning at 10 o'clock here at the church. And uh, there'll be... Uh, the lunch will be right after that. If you'll see Mary, if you want to make something, if they've not called you or something, that'd be great because there's going to be a big out-of-town crowd here that day. The visitation will be Friday night. I'm not sure on the time, but it'll be at Welch Funeral Home on Friday night. I'm sure it'll be in the paper uh, tomorrow, okay? Be praying for George, and uh, <clears throat> honestly, I think George is about to the place where he's just probably kind of relieved that it's all over with, and He's just watched her just literally lay there. So you pray for them. All right? Thank you all. Brother Chucky had his first treatment again today, and so pray for him. All right?